What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another great episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. So what is the future of mental health care? What is TMS in brain health? Well, today I have a very interesting guest. His name is Ben Spielberg and as seen in Forbes, LA Weekly, Bustle, Ben Spielberg is an Ivy League trained neuroscientist and founder of TMS in brain health. Ben will also share his personal story of conquering depression, ADHD, and addiction while getting sober in his 20s, saved his life, discovered his passion for neuroscience, and finding his purpose changed everything. So today, Ben and I will be talking about very interesting topics. So today we'll be talking about what is TMS? How can you treat anxiety, depression, and other mental conditions with TMS? Is it more effective than antidepressants? How can we take care of our mental health? And so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Not Basic Blonde podcast. So glad to have you on my show. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being my guest. And you have such an amazing expertise. You graduated from Columbia University. So would you please tell us more about your career? How did you start it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Um, so basically, long story short, um, I studied psychology in undergrad. Um, and during my, my time in school, I had a job as a biofeedback technician at a substance abuse and, and treatment center facility. Um, and so basically all day I was um, hooking people up to electrodes and they were doing this program where um, their brain activity was being monitored in real time. And that activity was being sort of fed into the computer and they would watch something on the computer. So usually like a movie and depending on what their brain was doing, the, the movie would shrink or enlarge um, and basically give the patient like real time feedback um, based on whatever symptoms they're having. So, for instance, if someone had ADHD, they could do this treatment and whenever the computer would detect them kind of not focusing or um, losing steam cognitively, then like the, the movie would shrink. And so over time, people would kind of learn how to control their own brain waves in a way. And so I was doing this in undergrad and I was so passionate about it, but I really felt like I needed more of a hard science background. So I applied to um, a program at Columbia 
um, and I got in and, and I basically made my area of study neuromodulation. So all of these sort of non-invasive but non-traditional way to create real changes in the brain. Um, that's where I was exposed to TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation, um, which is a really effective treatment for depression and anxiety. And, um, and then I, I started my own, my own center that really specializes in creating personalized treatment plans for mental health disorders. I know you also mentioned uh, before and from your bio, I know that you had and struggled with depression and ADG. So you had these conditions on your own and how did you overcome it? How did you cure it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think cure is, is probably a pretty strong word to use in this case. But, you know, for me, like I growing up, I had pretty severe depression um, starting at, at a pretty young age in childhood um, and, and pretty severe anxiety. But, but really, it was all sort of being led by my ADHD. So I was kind of the stereotypical uh, inattentive, distractible student where, you know, I would zone out immediately during class. I was completely disorganized. I, I was the kid who put his homework in his, in his pocket or just shoved it into his backpack and lost it five minutes later. Um, and it was really only until I got a formal testing after I finished high school when I was about 20 years old. And they said that I had, um, the most severe adult ADHD uh, she had ever seen in her life as a neuropsychologist. So, um, you know, and that, that experience ultimately kind of led me on somewhat of a journey of self-discovery where I really realized that a lot of my depression and, and anxiety was ultimately kind of controlled by my ADHD. And the more I learned about what ADHD looks like and, and how I can best use the strengths of the disease to my advantage and sort of mask or uh, control my weaknesses as much as possible, then I could be, and, and that's kind of how I've figured out how to successfully manage it um, as an adult is just really identifying like what are my strengths and weaknesses and, and what can I do to, um, work on the weaknesses or can I you know now I'm at a point where I, I own my own business and so I can you know I have like an administrative team that basically specializes in all the things that I'm horrible at and I think I've learned how to how to kind of use like the the distractibility to my advantages in a way where I let myself kind of play around with different different ideas and look at different avenues from uh, like business and kind of overall healthcare perspective. Well, what helped you the most? Did you have to actually get therapy or medication or any special treatments or how did you handle it? So personally, I tried every single medication for ADHD that has ever existed. Um, unfortunately, I've just been completely unable to tolerate them. I get pretty bad side effects from all of the medications. So I've had to deal with non-medicated uh, solutions. Um, I did neurofeedback myself. I've done probably 100 sessions of neurofeedback. That has been very helpful. It allowed me to 
um, increased my cognitive flexibility in a lot of ways where I, it kind of let me be able to switch on that focus when I needed to be there, but it didn't take anything away from my regular life. Whereas like the stimulant medications, it, it felt like, it felt like I wasn't me when I, when I took them. So that's why I don't like them. Um, therapy itself ultimately wasn't particularly effective, um, for the ADHD, but there, I did have a therapist who was, um, experienced in ADHD and, and that I think really helped me explore like some of the negative self-talk that I've had internally for the past few decades, you know, because when you're, when school is kind of like the only barometer for success that you have when you're young, right? So for, for kids, when they don't do well in school, ultimately, there's a lot of internalized guilt and shame and kind of like, why am I different? Am I stupid? And I think that a lot of people don't realize this, but those thoughts persist in your in your adult life, unless you kind of face them head on. Um, so for me, it, it was all about kind of recognizing when to, when to believe in myself when when I'm hearing that that's those cyclical thoughts of like you're you can't do it you're not good enough you're not smart enough and just being able to not turn them off because I don't think that's possible but just ignore them I see I struggled with anxiety myself and it was pretty bad and the thing is here well usually when you have anxiety they actually justify it or just like diagnose it as depression but I was like I'm mm-hmm. depressed I'm just like anxious I couldn't eat I couldn't right. drive I just couldn't be by myself because I don't know I had this constant panic attacks and this you know heart palpitations and I went through so much therapy and all of this caused by just stress and just the amount of stress I had and I guess because I never well I've asked you know they had to put me in a low dose of like antidepressant but I did not you know on the like minimum dose so I had to take that for like a year and a half but then still like had to get over it myself too I had to like conquer my fears and Mm -hmm. learn how to deal with it because I mean, they don't really give you any cure. And in other countries, yeah. comparing to US, they usually don't give you antidepressant. They're not in a rush. They will give you so mm-hmm. many different techniques to operate right. on your own and just try to do it without any medicine because there is such a huge shame about, you know, taking the medicine and, oh, you're depressed? No way. There is like, no yeah. thing like depression. Like, go do something. I mean, how can you do something when you're anxious and all you think about is like, I'm going to die? Like, do I need to call ambulance? You know, because that feeling when you have a panic attack, that's the only thing on your mind because your heart is racing like 135. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I went to even emergency rooms a few times and they told me to go home. They just left me. Just let me sit there. For like right. minutes, I was like, well, you guys do something? They're like, nope. And it, it feels like you're going to die, right? Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. And it was to the point where I lost so much weight. I lost like 20 pounds because I just couldn't eat. I had no appetite, like zero. Mm-hmm. I couldn't look at food at all. Like I would just look at it and just like 
not even want to eat. So yeah. then, like, you know, they had to do something about it. But then and it went back to normal, but I still had to learn how to conquer my fears, how to face them. And it was the hardest part when you're, like, all shaken, but you're still doing what you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what ended up helping you? Well, I had to be, like, on Selexa, very, very low dose of Selexa. But mm-hmm. it um on the top of it, of course, change my diet and work out more and try to reduce stress and get more sleep. And But otherwise, you know, it's usually, I mean, they could not provide me any solution. But I was like, well, how you guys do it without any medicine? And they were like, well, right. the doctor itself telling me i mean himself telling me well i've been on medicine for 15 years <laughs> so they yeah. don't have any solution to do it without <laughs> there yeah unfortunately the doctors most doctors in this country don't really have many non-pharmaceutical interventions for anxiety specifically i mean there's like benzodiazepines which are have historically been completely over prescribed and you know, doctors are now trying their best not to prescribe them. Um, So they're kind of left with just antidepressants, um, which can be helpful somewhat, but ultimately, usually there's more to be done. Usually you have to kind of look at your life, reduce stress um, and, you know, exercise and things like that. But it's hard to do those things when you're, when your heart is racing 140 beats per minute, right. And you feel like you're going to die, you know, it's telling someone to, to go work out, uh, will will fall on deaf ears most of the time, unfortunately. That's, that's really why I got interested in these non-pharmaceutical approaches is because, you know, ultimately these disorders are all brain based, right? They all, you know, the brain is what controls anxiety. It controls your mood. It controls depression and happiness. Um, And so if you're not really working directly on the brain, then what are you doing? I agree. And also, you know, some people have it when they, I mean, almost when they were born, like since they're a kid, for me, it was like, only past few years so it was very new and I never had any problems with it so then it's like you know quick fix with something very very low dose could be helpful but what about those who can even do that that's different question so what is TMS method what is it what did you invented yeah yeah so i I didn't invent it but i do do a lot of it um so tms stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation um which is a mouthful (laughs) and it it basically is a device that creates this magnetic field that can turn on specific parts of the brain that are underactive in depression and anxiety so you know we typically think of um, when we think of depression, there's a really common theory called like the serotonin hypothesis, which basically states that depression is a result of low serotonin in the brain or some kind of neurotransmitter imbalance. Um, but if that were the case, you know, SSRIs, like the most common type of antidepressants would work for everyone. And the reality is they don't, they work probably 40% of the time. Um, And so what really happens, and the neuroscientists showed this repeatedly over the 
past few decades is that these specific parts of the brain are underactive. So specifically the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is right here, um, is underactive in depression, meaning that there's less total blood oxygenation, less glucose metabolism, that's all happening in that area. And what TMS does is it creates this magnetic field. And by that magnetic field turns on that part of the brain again. So people come in five days a week for about six weeks. And session by session, they start feeling a little bit better, a little bit better. And it's because this part of the brain is literally um, getting back online. So it's increasing neuroplasticity, you're increasing blood flow, you're increasing oxygenation. Um, and it's really that process that ends up um, really reducing the symptoms of depression in a lot of people. Very interesting. And it only can be done at the clinic, like at your clinic at a location, or it can be done remotely too. Yeah, so TMS specifically can only be done in clinic settings um, because it's a, it's a pretty large machine. Uh, it's not mobile in any way. It looks kind of like an old, an old computer from the 80s, like a refrigerator-sized machine. Um, so there, there are no take-home devices. You do have to do it in the office. Is that like hyperbaric chamber or similar to that? Uh, it's a little bit different, you know, hyperbaric chambers, they change the, I believe they change the pressure and the oxygen level, um, of the, of the tank that, that people are inside of, but with TMS, you actually sit on a chair, you're not inside of anything, but we do put the actual device on, uh, patient heads. So they, they sit there and you're able to talk and, and um, you know, watch a movie potentially during the actual treatment, um, but you don't go inside of anything. How effective is TMS compared to antidepressants? So, so antidepressants uh, have about a 40% probability of reducing the symptoms of depression um, the first time one tries them. However, if you fail an antidepressant, then your probability of getting relief from the next one you try is decreased by about 50%. So by the time you've tried three, four different medications, the probability that an antidepressant will work for you is around 5% or less. Um, TMS, on the other hand, has a success rate of about 80 to 90%, depending on the study and the criteria. Um, usually in the clinic, usually the studies will show about 66 to 75%. In, in our clinics, we notice that we just have better efficacy because we can, we're not, we don't have the restrictions of a clinical trial. We can personalize the treatment to each person. Um, and so, I'd say success is usually about 80 to 90% in the people that we see and, and they can achieve full remission probably 50% of the time, no matter how treatment resistant they've been in the past. And that's very impressive. And they actually get, how long does it take for them to see the results and to feel better? That's a good question. So there are three, three sort of categories of responders. There are people who uh, are what we call early responders. So within the first week, they are in full remission, they feel amazing. It's been, you know, a complete 180 over like, um, five days. 
And then there are the more linear responders. So week one, they probably won't notice any changes. Week two, maybe things are getting a little brighter. Maybe they have a little more energy or maybe their sleep's getting a little better. Um, and then they'll kind of feel better and better throughout the treatment. Sometimes they're, uh, sometimes it's not so linear um, where maybe they'll feel better for two weeks or three weeks and then they'll crash at like week five and then week six, they'll feel better again. Sometimes we do see that. And then finally, and that's kind of the majority of people is like the more linear responders. And then there's about 10% of people who are what we call late responders. And those people, they come in, they're diligent five days a week, every single week. And they don't notice any changes until they've done 30 or so sessions. And then it's like, oh my God, they notice like huge changes uh, at the very end. And those changes usually continue to increase over the next few months after they've stopped TMS. So it depends on the person, how they adapt to it, like how it works for them. Mm -hmm. How can you identify, like, do you have any testing kind of done or how do you know that or how it will work for them or only by doing it, you will? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell unless someone, it's hard to tell until someone starts how soon they'll be able to respond. Um, in general, though, we can tell, you know, we, we do like various types of testing every week. I mean, we have a technician check in on them every single day. And then on a weekly basis, we administer um, like scientifically validated uh, mood questionnaires. Um, so that's, that becomes helpful for us to look at as well in terms of like, is there, are their scores getting lower every week or is there variability? Are they pretty stable? Um, but for the most part, people just have to start and then um, it's kind of up to their brain to, to read the message correctly and work efficiently. From your expertise, do you know that main causes that causes this condition? Like, example like some doctors identified that all our immune system everything happens in our gut and yeah now there are so many theories that you have to take probiotics and it actually impacts in a great way our mental health and what do you think about this uh i think that there is um a lot of hype surrounding the the brain gut interaction i think there's a lot of validity there i don't necessarily i i haven't seen any particularly compelling evidence to suggest that it's kind of all in the gut um even though i know some people um do operate under that assumption but in it's kind of a, a multifaceted disorder where you have this genetic predisposition and you have environmental stress. And it's really the combination of the two, in addition to sort of how resilient you are, um, that, that ends to the symptoms of depression. And like when you look at the brain and people who are depressed, there is a very clear uh, network and pattern of what that looks like. So for instance, like the hippocampus, which is a part of your brain responsible for memory consolidation and storage is atrophied by about 9% on average 
um, for people with depression. Um, so that's a really important part of your brain. And, and it shows us that depression isn't really, it, it's not really healthy for the brain in any way. Um, and then when the hippocampus has this, this atrophied effect, it kind of, there's kind of this feedback loop that gets triggered with the amygdala, which helps to control your, your stress response. So that ends up becoming overactive. And then all of a sudden, any environmental stress you have is sort of compounded by all of the cortisol that your body is now producing because your amygdala is out of whack. Uh, and then that pathway also leads to this um, prefrontal cortex uh, hypo functionality as well. Yeah, very interesting how it works. And you actually mm -hmm. on the scan, like you explained, all the parts of brain that some of them are not even functioning well. I mean, anxiety and depression is bad for overall health. That's why they tell you that you can't be in this kind of condition. You can't keep your body under this kind of stress. So you have to like manage mm -hmm. right away. But these mm -hmm. treatments how long and um how often do you need to do that is it like a course you do a few and then you stop and or you have to constantly do them yeah most people do a minimum course and then they kind of see how it goes and play it by ear so it's usually what people do is they'll do 36 sessions over about eight to nine weeks um, so five days a week for six weeks, and then the next two to three weeks, just kind of spread out six additional sessions. Um, and then about 90% of people, that's all they need, just that one course. But for some people, they do benefit from additional sessions. So sometimes people do an additional course in 60 to 90 days if they feel like they weren't able to get enough relief the first time. And sometimes people also come in for maintenance sessions, like maybe once a month or once every two weeks, just depending on kind of how their, their brain metabolizes the signal that it's getting. Um, but the vast majority of people are able to just do the course straight through and that's all they need in life. Oh, so it would be actually enough for a lifetime. You don't have to constantly come and do it like, you know, every year, every month. Correct. Correct. It depends on the person, but, you know, I've seen, you know, the vast majority of the people that we treat, they just do one course and that's all they need. But depression is, you know, something that is episodic in nature, right? It kind of ebbs and flows throughout the lifetime. So um, for some people, it can also reduce the severity of future depressive episodes. Um, so if someone has like a history of pretty severe depression, maybe they do TMS and it gets them out of, out of the depression and it makes any future episodes of depression a lot more mild than they otherwise would have been. Wow. That's incredible. It sounds magical. Yeah. <laughs> like people come in who have tried like 10 to 20 different medications. They've been in therapy. Um, and nothing has worked for them. And then seeing them two weeks later after starting TMS and smiling and, you know, making jokes with people, it's like they've become a, a completely different person. How can we take care of our mental health overall to avoid of anything happening like anxiety, depression or any of that? 
So if someone, I mean, there are different behavioral strategies, right? So there are, there are basic things that everyone's heard ad nauseum, right? Avoid stress. You know, that's a, that's a tip that's ultimately not helpful for most people because stress is, is unavoidable in our society. Um, you know, exercise and nutrition are two things that can be very important and stabilizing mood. For instance, avoiding any sugar is probably the most important nutritional piece that I could give to anyone who has a mood disorder, just because, you know, the ebbs and flows of blood sugar um, are kind of exacerbated by any shifts in mood. So people who are more prone to depression or anxiety, or bipolar disorder, they tend to be much more sensitive to those, um, those swings in blood sugar. And so the lows, um, like a few hours after having sugar will be a lot more severe for people with mood disorders. Um, exercise is helpful at really any type is helpful. And at the very least trying to like get, get steps in every day, get, you know, 2,500 steps, 5,000, 10,000 steps, the more, the more steps you can get in every day, the better. Um, and then, you know, trying, trying to regulate sleep as much as possible to um, having really good sleep hygiene, making sure that like you're limiting blue light at night and you have like night shift turned on if you have an iPhone or that you're not taking things like Benadryl or NyQuil uh, or any OTC sleep product to go to sleep every single night. That's a great advice. And especially sleep. I know sleep is very important. And I know when I don't have enough sleep, I, it gets me sometimes. So yeah, number one for everyone, I guess. Absolutely. It's, it's so important for, for your mood and for your brain health in general. And unfortunately, a lot of people, um, you know, with, with depression, for instance, like impaired sleep is one of the symptoms of depression, but it's also something that can very much increase all of your external stressors in life. Um, so it can make you more prone to depression as well if your sleep is, is very uh, dysregulated. What inspired you to do the TMS office in Los Angeles? Why did you choose the location? Because you were located there or... Um, so I kind of grew up uh, split between LA and New York. Um, at, at the time when I decided to, to start this, I was actually living in New York. I had recently finished graduate school, um, but I, I just, I knew some people professionally in Los Angeles and I thought that it would be, um, I, I thought that the opportunity was better in Los Angeles ultimately. Um, and, and I just, you know, at the time, like there were TMS centers alone, there were ketamine centers alone. There was no one who was really doing like a full service of mental health services. It was more like just kind of one provider here, one provider here, one provider here. So I really wanted, I, I just love this idea of like a personalized treatment plan and really doubling down on personalizing every single aspect of the treatment. And it just seemed like LA was, was better to do that. Yeah. Everyone is very concerned about health and wellness there and eating healthy and all that. So yeah, definitely. I wish it would be more spread out in us like that. Not just there. <laughs> I know. I know. It's unfortunate. Where are you based? 
I'm in Atlanta, but I love LA. I come there to visit sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I'm like more LA type, but I guess I'm in Atlanta for now. And before all this pandemic happened, I wanted to move there, but then now <laughs> everyone is moving out from there. So yeah, they're all moving <laughs> to Atlanta, right? No, I'm here in Atlanta, but I'm still thinking, well, yeah, to move out from Atlanta somewhere. What brought you to Atlanta? Oh, they're part of my family. Mm. What was your experience starting TMS Center? Did you have any challenges? And how did you decide to do it? Um, yeah, challenges um, would be an understatement. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there were challenges every step of the way. You know, in the very beginning, this kind of was just an idea. Um, and there was one point where it was like me in a room with a TMS machine and, you know, a doctor in the next room over. And I just had to kind of figure it out and, and figure out um, basically everything from A to Z, how to, uh, you know, create the administrative systems, what the best marketing plan is going to be, how to efficiently test different strategies, you know, how to manage the finances. So there were, and then staffing was, was so hard in the very beginning. And now I'm blessed to have like an amazing team behind me. Um, but in the beginning, uh, these were all major challenges that I faced. Always it's hard to start something new and actually dive in into industry. Right. Anything you start, it's always hard. But then when you learn it and you're in it, then it becomes easier. Absolutely. Yeah. And LA is, you know, it's pretty competitive for TMS here. Like we're definitely not the only people doing TMS. I will say we're the only people who I think are really personalizing the TMS protocols in a, in a high quality way. But um, it's, you know, to be where we are now, where we kind of like, we're kind of one of the, one of the few known names in the TMS world in LA um is just really amazing to see because you know if you google us like we have five star reviews we're at the top of page one um and it, it was it, it was a really long and hard road to get where we are today that's incredible i'm so i admire you guys that's amazing that what you do thank you i know it's probably not but do you think depression can be permanently cured with TMS or there is a chance I mean of course it depends on everyone mm -hmm. life circumstances and I mean events they're going through in life but overall yeah I mean in in science and generally in medicine we try to avoid the use of the term cure um but you know like I said depression is it's episodic so it, it comes and goes throughout the lifetime. It can definitely get people out of their current depressive episodes and it does a fantastic job of that. And it can certainly prevent and or reduce um, future episodes from happening. I see. What success stories have you guys had? Any major? Um, everything. I mean, you know, one of our first... One of our first patients, and I was doing TMS in, in grad school and before we opened, but like uh, I remember when when we first opened TMS in brain health, we had one patient who 
Um, she was in her late twenties. She had, she hadn't been working for two years because, um, her mental health was just not, she just wasn't in a good place mentally. So she had, she had taken a break from working. She had, um, had been diagnosed as depressed. She had severe anxiety. She had severe OCD. Uh, and she was such a talented, a talented woman too. So she, um, you know, with her, we did like an initial protocol of TMS and it, it started really helping her a lot, but her sleep and her anxiety were still somewhat problematic. So then we added in another protocol that treats a different part of the head. Um, and that's really what helped get her into full remission. And within three weeks, she had started working again. She was like going back to school. It was, it was just an, a, a really amazing transformation that shows um, how big that, how big of a jump TMS can really help people make. It's magical. And actually, when you hear probably this kind of story, so it gives you even more motivation and even probably inspires you even more. Right? Yeah, definitely. And where can all listeners find you, your center, where is it located, and your social handles? Yeah, yeah. So uh, our website is tmsbrainhealth.com. Um, we currently have clinics in uh, LA. We have two offices in LA. We have an office in Sedona, Arizona, and another in Las Vegas. Um, and you can call or text us anytime. Our phone number is 833-867-2329. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben, for being my guest. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Thanks for having me. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.